Thank you. God bless you. you. May be seated. Amen. Well, this morning I'm I'm going to pretend that the whole church is here. I'm going to pretend that those that are away, there's some of them are away because they're sick, but I'm going to pretend that everybody that I care about is in this room. I'm going to pretend like this place is full of people that I believe need to hear this message. And so um, I'm a little bit disappointed that not everyone's here. Like I said, some people are away, some people are sick. But um, the sermon today is, is preempted from my heart. And I heard this week that, uh, I read somewhere this week that in America in 2017, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches shut down. Christian churches. Between 6,000 and 10,000 churches closed down in one year. I've got a different title to my message this morning, but if I could give it the title that's just resonating in my heart right now, it would be like this. How to lose the Christian witness in your family within three generations. How to lose the Christian witness in your family within three generations. And so I'm sharing this message this morning because I heard Jensen Franklin preach this message and I don't think I'm going to do it nearly as good as what he can do it, but it just absolutely touched my heart. It touched my heart because of the, um, the incredible importance for you about choosing how you're going to live your life. But it's not just for you, it's for generations to come. See, this message this morning is, is, is about you, but also for the generations that are going to follow you. We were having a chat in the car with my wife this morning on the way to church, and we were just talking about the home church where we just recently went to and ministered there, and, and Mike was actually preaching there this morning in Adelaide. And she said one of the great things about the church that we love so much is that we were able to see on the platform fourth-generation kids who are worshipping and, and using their gifts for the house of God. Four generations. Four generations. So I'm going to ask you, what do you see for the generations that are going to follow you? I know that in my family, we have four generations in the house of God on Sunday morning. Uh, the fourth generation, fifth generation. My wife says fifth. I can't count all that good. Because my grandparents went to church before I was even born. My parents went to church when they got married. I went to church every day and every Sunday, not every day, that's an exaggeration, every Sunday, every week, amen, for the whole of my life. My children went to church Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and sometimes Sunday night, every week. So Pastor Barry, what's going on? Every week they did that. And I'm so grateful to see now that our grandkids and the songs and the words that got put up this morning is by our, grand, our granddaughter who's at the back who's only nine years old and she's in the house of God and she's, she's got a passion in her heart to be in church this morning because she stayed with us. She said, I'm going early with Zia because I'm on roster, I'm on duty. She wants to do that, not because we compel her to do that. And I, I came this morning as well stirred by, I, I'm not a rugby follower. I don't even understand that stupid game. But some people follow it. But there's a guy at the moment called Israel Falau that's been ridiculed because of his belief. Now, I, I don't totally would do the way he's done it. For sure, we could do that better. But you know what? He's speaking the truth. He's speaking the truth. Because he puts a whole list of what, you know, what if you do these things the Word of God says, you're going to end up in hell. But if you surrender your life to Jesus, it's all going to change. I'm going to, that's speaking the truth. That's our gospel message. And we got people today trying to shut him down. In fact, he's probably going to lose his $4 million contract to play rugby in Australia because he stood up for what he believes in. And I was stirred as I heard Jensen Franklin preach this message. He said, there's so many pastors that are just preaching little things that tickle people's ears so that they can feel really good, but nothing is really changing about aligning their life to the Word of God. So I don't want to be one of those pastors that just tickles your ear. 
Sorry, you picked a bad Sunday to come to church. We got some visitors here and they go like, is this guy serious? I came here to be encouraged. Second Timothy chapter 3, and, uh, and I just felt this was laid on my heart. It's got, not even on my notes. All right. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaks to Timothy. Timothy was a young man, and I'm going like, these words resonate more today than ever before. You shall know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there'll be, there will be very difficult times. Is that the time we live in? You see, we've we got small churches that are closing down right around the world. And everyone joins a big church. You know why? Because everybody wants to be a spectator. Everyone wants the best worship, the best music, the best lights, the best entertainment, the best preacher. And then they want to go home and be, remain the same. That's why big churches continue to grow and little churches struggle because people are like, oh, do I have to hear him preach? Everyone knows what I do. Everyone knows my stuff, but in a crowd, you know, when I go and watch the football, and at the moment there's nothing really to talk about the football because all the teams that I support are not doing all that well. But if I, if I were to go and watch Sydney Swans play, I enjoy it because I'm part of the crowd. At the end of the day, I go home and I really haven't invested too much. But get small churches working and get small churches up and running and get small churches where people engage. Guess what? It means we all have to make a contribution. And, and Paul says to Peter, in the last days will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. This is not Pastor Mario speaking. This is the Word of God. If you, if you want to check it out, open your Bibles and you'll find it. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Wow. It's, it's been seen all around. The good old selfies are reflecting of that. It's all about me. It's all about what I, I think. It's all about what I want to do. It doesn't fit with my agenda. It doesn't fit with my heart. It doesn't fit with who I am. I hope this morning we don't have people that have become like this, that they've become lovers of money and pleasure in themselves. But, you know, we, we, we aren't the only generation that's got to make a decision. We aren't the only ones. This is not just something for us today in, in 2019. I have a scripture for you this morning from Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 15. And this is Joshua that he, he is sort of, he's, he's sort of handing over. He's about, you know, he's getting old. And he stands in front of the people of God, the people of Israel, that they had seen incredible things happen. They were in slavery. And, and, and God took them out of a slavery and promised them that he's going to take them to a place that, you know, that they didn't have to work for, that God was going to give to them. But one thing is that their heart would be completely inclined towards God. And they saw all this. They entered the promised land. And this is what Joshua says. Verse 14 of chapter 24. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. In other words, not with 99% conviction or 90%, 99% uh, commitment, but 100%. Wholeheartedly. God doesn't want half your heart. He doesn't want half your commitment. He wants you. He doesn't want half of you. He wants the whole of you. You, you can't put yourself as a living sacrifice and put yourself on the altar and then leave your hand off the altar. Because soon they set fire to that, that thing that's been sacrificed. Guess what? It's all going to burn. You need to understand that. God wants all of you. And this is what he says. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Again, it's talking about they were double-minded. Do we serve God? Or do we serve God a little bit? Do we serve God wholeheartedly? He's saying, hey, once and for all, make a decision. Make up your mind to serve God 
wholeheartedly and serve only God, God alone. Then verse 15, it says, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you now live? And then he says, he's sort of saying, okay, this is what I'm putting out there. But make a choice. Make a choice. Choose who you will serve. He doesn't finish. Because he goes like, he's sort of saying, I don't know what you're going to do. But this is what I'm going to do. He says, but as for me and my house or my family, we will serve the Lord. He goes like, I don't, I, I don't care what you're going to do. Look, I do care. But you need to make your choice. Your choice is not going to be reflected on me because I just want you to know what I'm doing. Now, if I'm on my own, that's okay. But this is what we're doing. Me and my family, as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua challenged the people of God to make a choice. Choose today whom you will serve. Will you serve dead idols or fear the Lord and serve God wholeheartedly. And you know, we, in some way, we, we've got those choices today. We've got those choices just as much as they had. Oh, well, we'll have a bit of God and a bit of this and a bit of humanistic ideas and, and a bit of pragmatism and all this stuff that I think works. And I need, I need some of God. You know, I hear so many times people that say, you know, I used to go to church once upon a time, but I don't really find it that relevant to me. I used to go to Sunday school. The amount of people that I hear that say, I used to go to Sunday I'm a Christian. Have, hearing people respond to Israel Palau's Twitter post, and people go like, well, you know, uh, I know he's talking about homosexuals there, but he's also talking about drunkards. And guess what? That includes me. And they go like, oh, I don't know if he really reflects what the Word of God says. We have choices every single day. We make choices. Either to serve things that are dead or we serve the Almighty God. And if we choose to serve the Almighty God, you need to serve Him wholeheartedly. What Joshua was saying is stop dabbling in both. We, 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 we conflicted, we dabble a bit of this and a bit of that, a bit of humanism, a bit of a Christianity. He says, stop dabbling in, bo- in both, worshipping idols and worshipping God. He goes, hey, some of you guys have still got this stuff. You, go, you do God on Sunday and you, do, and, and, you, and you do Baal on Monday. You do God on, on, on the Sabbath, but then, then the rest of the week you're doing all your other little gods. He says, choose one. But whatever you choose, choose it and do it wholeheartedly. If that's God, serve God wholeheartedly. See, when you have more than one vision, guess what you got? If you got, if you got two visions in this church, what do we get? Confusion. You get division. That's what happens. You can't serve two visions. In other words, you, can't, you, you as an individual <coughs> can't serve God and serve self and be happy. You'll never be happy. You just can't do it. You'll end up serving one. When your heart is given to more than one thing, you will constantly be torn between the two. Eventually, you'll end up serving either one or the other. You pass them I don't think that's so. Well, have a look at what happened in Judges chapter 2, verse 6. This is the death of Joshua. Verse 6 says, After Joshua sent the people away, Each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Good so far. All right, that's good so far. This is a good point. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land that had been allocated in the country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Okay, here, where it changes. Verse 10. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the Lord of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. 
Now, I, I know that people just want to hear a message of a loving God, and God is loving. Don't get that wrong. But God hates sin. Three people said amen. God is a loving God. God hates sin. We break the heart of God when we are drawn to sin and enjoy sin. He hates it. His anger burns against Israel, so he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to the enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he warned. And the people were in great distress. Where do you think our society is today? In great distress. Where are the churches today? In great distress. Where is the faith of the people? In great distress. Here's some things to note. While Joshua was alive, they continued to serve God. While the leaders who had, been, who had seen God do great things and hold the people to remember, they continued to serve God. In other words, while Joshua was there, Joshua would remind them, come on guys, remember that God took us out of Egypt. We remember we crossed the Red Sea. Remember, through the Red Sea, the, 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 the Pharaoh and his, uh, and his chariots and his, and his army were, were drowned. Remember, we went through the desert that God provided water out of the rock. Remember, when we went through the, pres- the desert that God sent manna from heaven. Remember, when we faced all those enemies, God was with us. Remember what God has done. Everybody goes, we remember. We worship God. So he would say, we have a situation, the same God that was there yesterday, he's there with us today, so nothing will defeat us if God is on our side. Everybody's going, amen, brother, amen, preach it. Then then Joshua dies, and the other leaders reminded the people, they carried that on, they reminded the people. But when they died, when that generation died, a new generation rose up, a generation didn't remember what God had done for them. A generation that were not attached to what God had done in the past. Oh yeah, that's what God did in the past, but we're in a new generation. God is doing new things. God is, you know, uh, we don't really know if that stuff applies to us. You know, that stuff was in the past. They come up with all the different excuses why not to continue to worship God of their fathers. The Bible says they abandoned God. They went after other gods. And then they began to worship them. And I say like this, the first generation revered God and served God. Some of you here are first generation Christians. You know what it was like to be in a home where there was no God. You know what it was like to be in a home where there was no faith. You know what it was like to be in a home where there was substance abuse, where there's all sorts of stuff that was happening. You know what it's like to live a life without God in the center of it, without God in the center of the family. Anyone here can say amen to that? Then there's the second generation that rises up. Oh, yeah, mum and dad go to church. But it's, they're not connected to the faith. They haven't got a revelation. They haven't understood. They, they, they take everything they've got for granted. They take that there's peace in the home. They take it for granted. They know that there's money in the bank and parents are provided. They take that for granted. They know that their mum and their dad are not going to beat up on them. They take it for granted. They just think it's always like that. But they don't remember what it was like when their parents weren't Christians or when their, their loved ones were not Christians. They, they don't remember the dysfunction. They take everything they've got for granted. Second generation begins to take things for granted. Then the third generation comes, and guess what they do? Everything that happened is irrelevant. There's new things that are happening now. There's new gods. There's new stuff that we bring on board. So we can destroy the witness in our families within three generations. And I'd love to be proved wrong by some of you. Within three generations, the witness of God in our family, where one of the family members just surrendered their life to Jesus, and it all changed unless unless there's a commitment to what God has done, and unless there's that vibrant faith that's not just talked about, but it's seen within their family, within three generations, the witness of Christ dies, is gone. We too have a choice to make. Who will you serve? The question is for all people, doesn't matter how young, how old, 
You say, well, my parents aren't Christians. Well, make a decision for yourself. You say, well, my parents weren't Christians. Well, you make a decision for yourself. Maybe you're young, maybe you're older. It doesn't really matter. Make a decision for yourself. Who will you serve? Choose who you will serve. Will you serve God wholeheartedly? Or will you have divided loyalties where you chase and embrace ideologies that resonate with us? See, the trouble is, people are like, there's some stuff of Christianity that everybody agrees on. Love your neighbor. Everyone agrees with that one. Love your enemy. Already, I'm not too sure about that one. Abstain from immorality. Everything on TV, 90% of the stuff on TV is immoral. Hello? Married at first sight? Talk about immorality. And it's promoted by the so-called psychologist. We've got a, an experiment. They want to experiment. They want to experiment with what God has already ordained that actually works through the generations, through the thousands of years. Divided loyalties, you chase and embrace ideologies that resonate with you. They make you feel happy. Oh, you know, I know that stuff about God and it's good, but, you know, going in too deep, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if Jesus made a decision like, look, you know, um, you can whip me, but, you know, the, uh, the crown of thorns on my head, no, nah, that's as far. No, he gave it all. Whip, spat at, punched, crown of thorns. Nailed, sword, lost his life. All. That Christian stuff, I don't know if I can do something. You know, they want me to abstain from this and abstain from that and abstain from this other thing and keep myself as a virgin until I get married. I don't know, I don't know if I, I mean, that's old-fashioned stuff. No one's listening to me this morning. Everyone's gone really, really quiet. I'm sharing this to you this morning, not at anger, but a holy passion, because I want to see you do well, your family do well, and your children do well. That's what inspires me. Amen. There are three positions that we take when it comes to the choice we make. Now, I've got three chairs. You're probably wondering, what are those three chairs, Pastor Murray? There's three chairs that represent three things. So the first chair is a chair of committed. Second chair is a chair of compromise. And the third chair is a chair of conflict. Each one of us is sitting in one of those chairs. Every one of us in this place is sitting in one of those chairs. Every single person out in the street is sitting in one of those chairs. What chair you sit in is totally up to the you and the choice that you make. When it comes to your faith in God, how real is God to you? Oh, God is my triple, triple zero number. In strife, I call God. Or, how important is He to you? How relevant, how real? How important is the church to you? How relevant, how real, how important is the word in your life to you? What chair are you sitting in? I'll talk a little bit about the church, of uh, the seat of commitment. In the chair, there are those who have surrendered their life to Christ. And there's a lot of people here this morning that sit in this chair. They've surrendered their life to Christ. They've born again. They've made Jesus not only their Savior, because everyone wants Jesus to save them from hell. But it's not just a Savior. It's a Lord to make Him Savior and Lord. That means your life doesn't belong to you, it belongs to Jesus. It means that you're actually a love slave to Jesus. Those that are doing James with me to, on Tuesday night, we learned that last fortnight uh, that it, it says, hey, uh, uh, I'm a bond servant, I'm a slave, I'm a love slave. So it's not just, hey, when I get the senses, I put on there, I'm a Christian. No, the committed guy says, no, I laid down my life for Jesus. They make Jesus not only their Savior, but make Jesus their Lord. These are people who don't walk by sight. You know, walking by sight is like, hey, when it feels good, when I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I follow Jesus. When Jesus gets me to do some things that I don't like, guess what? I'm walking out of there. And I want you to understand that even Jesus had people that didn't like what he was saying and walked away. How many people did Jesus minister to in his lifetime? It's not a trick question. 
Lots. Thousands. How many people were in the upper room when Jesus had ascended into heaven and said, go to Jerusalem and wait in the upper room? 120 people. That's all it was. 120 people in the upper room. So in the ministry of Jesus, there was only 120 people that followed him or, 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 or obeyed what he's commanded to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come down in power and wait in the upper room. 120 people. Like people that work by sight, walk by sight and not walk, uh, walk by spirit, not by sight. It's not about feelings or popularity or convenience. I want to see who shows up. If I find out who's showing up, if I find out who's actually committing to this, well, then I'll, I'll think about committing. No, they go like, hey, whatever God wants me to do, I'm committed. I don't care if I'm the only one. I will have a voice and speak about Jesus. I'm going to tell the truth and speak the truth in love. No matter what, if I'm the only person there, I'm going to continue to do it. Their life is about biblical conviction and devotion and servanthood to God. <laughs> if I were to put you under the microscope, would I find some biblical conviction in your soul? Ooh. I'm glad that I'm doing the looking and you're not. Because <laughs> if you were doing the looking, you go, Pastor Mario, <laughs> your convictions are a little bit light on in this area. But those sitting in the committed seat say, hey, I'm, I, I've, I've got some spiritual convictions that are taken from the Word of God. Their life is about biblical conviction, devotion, and servanthood to God. They've set themselves apart for God's service. Most times we sit there and go like, I don't actually know if it's serving God is going to fit in my schedule. It's already fairly full. It's already fairly busy. Serving God. Well, some of us, as soon as I say that, you're starting to think straight away, Pastor Murray just wants me to go on a roster in church, and that makes him happy. No, I don't. I want you to serve God in your workplace. Hey, Hello. I want you to serve God in your schools. Don't wait. Oh, well, we don't have a, 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 a Christian worker in our school. You be the Christian worker. I don't have any other person in my workplace that are Christian. Well, you stand up and be a Christian. Everyone else can declare what they are. Amen. I'm this and I'm that. The first thing that people say. Stand up. They've set themselves apart for God's service. God is number one in their life. And they build their life on spiritual things. They're humble, they're teachable, and open to the Holy Spirit's guidance and correction. They are the people that in this place. They come to church on a Sunday morning, and they go, God, can you speak to me this morning? I need a word from you. Yeah, I need a word from you. I need some correction, Lord God. God, I, I want to be encouraged, but if you need to give me a little, you know, a good little slap, you know, that's okay, God. I'll, I'll, I'll take it, amen, because sometimes I need to be, I shouldn't say that, because it's politically correct, politically incorrect. I got the right word. God, if, if I need you to, the challenge is to pull your ear in church. My parents used to pull my ear in church. It's not a good thing. I'm not advocating this, but I, this is what they used to do. If you were mucking around while the pastor's preaching, right, if you were sleeping, they'd go and pull your ear and wake you up. Or a little pinch. My, my wife used to pinch the kids on the front row, right? <laughs> Still happening. Used to pinch you a little bit. Sometimes we need God to give us a little wake-up call. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Because you think I'm talking about you. I'm talking about God has to slap me around sometimes. He's got to give me a wake-up call. Mario, what are you doing? Wake up. If you go down this road, you're going to prediction. You're going to destruction. I want to tell you this because I care about you. We tell the people that we love to be cautious about stuff that's going to damage their life. Amen. So they're happy for correction. They're not perfect. I'm close to it, but not quite. They're not perfect. I, we used to see a sticker at the back of the car. Says, uh, uh, um, what is it? I'm not perfect. I'm a Christian or something. I'm a Christian. I'm not perfect. Something like that. And it's true. There's not one person that's perfect. And if someone here thinks they're more perfect than the others, well, I think you're kidding yourself. Because we're a little bit all messed up. I know I keep saying this, but every time I say that, no one, everyone's like, huh? do you know me? They have already said this before. They've got spiritual and biblical convictions that are unshakable, irrespective of who's with them and who's against them. So it's the word of God is the word of God. Amen. 
The crowds don't sway them. I wonder what everyone else thinks. They don't care about what, what everyone else says. says they, they're just worried about what does the Bible say. And if you have a problem, maybe half of your problem is finding out what other people say. It's probably best to go to the Word of God and say, what does the Word of God say? Amen. You do have a Bible. Amen. You can find any topic. You say, oh, I don't know too much about the Bible. Well, thank God for Google because I use Google a lot. So if I'm looking for a particular verse, I go to Google. I type in that verse and it gives me exactly where it is, or whatever topic it wants, whoever it is that I need to read about. I want to tell you, it's just so simple. So whatever your stuff is, you know, you, you, you find it in the Word of God. They're not too worried about what others think. They're worried about what the Word of God says. They are people who are committed to the house of God every week. Last week we had a packed church. This week we got half the congregation missing. My heart aches. Every leader at the moment says, just accept it. And I go, I will not accept it. Why should we accept that? When 6,000 churches in America close in one year, this is not going to be one of those churches that closes. Well, these people that aren't sitting on the committed seat, you, you, don't, you don't sit at home and think, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be at church on Sunday. You don't think that, do you? You just know that they're going to be there, right? Because they're on the committed seat. You just don't want, oh, well, he was there last week and the week before. Probably this is his third week in a row, so this week he's taking it off. You go, no, no, the committed people, are, it, it's like, if he's not there, He's dying. Something's happened. Amen. That's the committed one. He's not going like, well, this morning I got a bit of a tummy ache because I had too much pizza last night and I've got a bit of indigestion. Guess what, Pastor Mario? Uh, you don't believe me, but on Sunday morning, before I start a service, I get all text messages from people say, sorry, I can't be there this morning. And some are legitimate reasons. But the person that's committed says, I don't care if I'm sick, I'm going to the house of the Lord. Why? Because they're going to pray for me for my healing. If I'm discouraged, guess what? I'm going to go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because there the Word of God is going to encourage me. If I'm feeling flat, guess what? I'm going to go to the house of the Lord because in worship, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to take the focus off myself and I'm going to be putting the focus on God because it's about Him. That's a committed one. He doesn't think like, how many Sundays can I take off and still be a Christian? Pastors are saying now that most people that will only come to the church once a month, they still love your church. That's what I don't get. We love your church. We're not going anywhere. But I go like, hey, people that are committed, you don't sit there thinking, I wonder if they're going to be in church. Because what? They're there on Sunday. You're going to hear the reason why too in a minute. These people are committed to serving the body of Christ. These people are committed to serving others. These people are committed to giving to the house of God, giving to those in need and giving because they know that they've been blessed to be a blessing. The people who sit in the committed seat have placed God as top priority. They sit in the seat of commitment because they do it for themselves. Why? I, I know it's about generational, but the first thing, I do it for myself. You do it, the committed person sits in the seat. Why? Because he's doing it for himself, firstly. Why? Because I messed up. I need God. Why? He, he knows that without God, he just he, he, he messes his life up even more. He knows that, hey, I need God. Not just once a year or not once every day. I need God every week, every day of my life. I need God. He does it for himself. He knows that it does him good. Amen. How do you know I'm committed to a Sydney Swans? I know that some of you find this really carnal, but that's who I am, all right? About football, that's, that's it. If you were at my house yesterday, you would think that the end of the world is coming because all my team's lost. How do you know that I'm truly committed to my Sydney Swans? How do you know? I get a, I get a, a yearly pass. I become a member. Am I a member? No, I'm not. I have not invested one little bit. Right? The committed person said, I, I've invested my, I want to invest my whole life to this because I need this. He also does it for his marriage. They know that they will be better husbands, better wives, 
if they sit in the seat of commitment because they understand the relationship that God has with them, it stirs their heart to say, hey, you, you understand the relation God has with you? You know how many times you let God down? Yeah, you know how many times you do the wrong things? But guess what? God still loves you. Well, that's the sort of love that I want you to bring into your marriage. Amen. If the wife lets you down, you continue to love it. If your husband lets you down, you continue to love it. If the food is not that good, that's okay. There's another day coming. You won't die. It's all right. He does it for his marriage. He does it for his family. Amen. You know, I, I, I could have an interview with most, all, all the ones that have little children. And if I asked them, do you love going to church on Sunday? Guess what they would say? Yeah, they love it. And then I look around and parents are not even in church. Do it. Sit in the seat for you. Do it for your marriage and do it for your family. Do it for your children. Do it for the generations that are going to come. You know, some of you are thinking like, I am not even married yet. Well, that was me a few years ago. I wasn't even married yet at 21. I wasn't married. 22, I got married. Then we had three kids straight away. And guess what? We've got grandkids now. Three generations comes past very quickly. Do it for the generations. That's why they sit in that chair. They have a revelation about God and His kingdom. And their place in God's purpose. And they've been transformed and they're continuing to be transformed, both body, soul, and spirit. Because sometimes we have a transformation. We, got, we, we think, uh, we got a revelation, right? We go, oh, oh now I've got a revelation. Oh, this is what God wants. But guess what? Nothing is hitting the tarmac. In other words, it's not hitting your thinking, it's not hitting your soul, and it's not being seen on the outside. Because once you get revelation, there needs to be ongoing transformation, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Some of you think I'm not that nice, but you should have seen me 20 years ago. I really wasn't nice. I'm where I am today because God is still working in me, transforming me dealing with issues, dealing with attitude, dealing with stuff. Amen. So we, the person that sits in the seat's got a revelation. They can quote scripture. Yeah, they can do that. They know the will of God. But guess what? They're allowing the word of God and the power of God to transform their thinking, transforming their soul, their emotions, their mind, and their will, and transforming their body. God's transforming my body. Looking younger and younger all the time. But I've also realized my sight's not that good. The second chair is the chair of compromise. Compromise. Here we find people sitting who've been born again. They attend church mostly. Or when they've got nothing else on. Oh, we got this on, we got that on, we got the other thing on, we got the other thing on. They come. They know their scripture somewhat. They honor the Lord in their heart, but they're living distant from the Lord. Their relationship with Jesus is more of an acquaintance than a surrender and a friendship and a servanthood. Well, everyone has got a comment about Jesus. You ask anybody in the street, who's Jesus? Oh, he was a good man. They know about him. But these people sort of, sort of know about him know a little bit more about him than the average Joe Blow in the street, but they're so far away from him. People in this chair mix up the sacred and the secular. This is probably one of the worst, this is the worst seat to sit on. This is the, the seat that the people that Joshua was speaking to were sitting. Because he goes, you know what God has done for us. You know that he set us free. You know that he's brought us here. You saw the walls of Jericho tumble down. You saw that everything God said about the promised land was true. But if I come into your house, you've got a little, little, a little Buddha sitting in the corner. You've got a little Baal sitting over there. You've got a little shrine out the side for the unknown God. That, that, this is the worst place to be in. Because you've got your foot in both camps. You've got your foot on the fence. You, you're sitting on the fence. Amen. You're sitting on the fence, and guess what? You're going to fall for one side or the other. The most dangerous place to be. 
they, they mix up the sacred and the secular. They've got one foot in the sacred and one foot in the secular. One foot in the church and one foot in the world. They find it's comfortable. Listen to carefully. Hear my heart. They find it comfortable being in a Christian environment. It's okay. But they also find it comfortable to be in an ungodly environment. Amen? You, you want me to explain? You, you, you want, this is face-to-face now. Is that all right? Do you want me just to explain a little bit more? What does that mean? Hey? Yeah, I... I, I Neil is going to be my son-in-law soon. I explain it this way. Listen carefully. Some of his friends are organizing a bucks party for him. Guess what they want to do? I, I know you're all laughing because you already know. They want to organize a stripper. Guess what Neil said? I, you have a stripper, I'm not coming. And you know what they said? They said to Nicole, is it because, it's because you're insecure? They're telling my daughter, she's insecure, not going to let him go to a Bucks party where they have a stripper. I'm going like, how can the Christian, because I've seen this in the churches, where they go to church on Sunday, but on Friday, they go to the Bucks party with a stripper. And I go like, how can you feel comfortable in church on Sunday, and then on Friday, you go to see the stripper? They feel comfortable in both seats. Was that plain enough? Sorry, Neil, I had to pick on you. You're the first example that came up, mate. Sorry. And it's not that Neil wants to wants a stripper, by the way. Just want to clarify. His friends are, what's wrong with you? You Christians are so, you know, narrow-minded. You know, get a life. He goes, I'm doing this because I want to protect my marriage and my relationship with my future wife. <laughs> not because she's insecure but because he wants to protect his relationship with his wife. I haven't heard preaching like this forever. It's like back in the 1960s. They find it comfortable in a Christian environment and feel a home in an ungodly situation. They consider the people in the, they consider the, people in the seat of commitment. So they go, you know what, I go to church on Sunday. Why do you have to go to the life group and the Bible study and the prayer meeting? Mate, looks at the person in the committed seat, you're like, it's too much, mate. You need to get your, you need to get a life. You're fanatical. Like when, when you're sick, you, you really believe God's going to heal you. I've done that stuff. Nothing happens. Just, you know, go and see the doctor. It's all right. Put your faith in the door. They look at the pe- person in the committed seat like, you're crazy if you're from another planet. Do you really believe this stuff? Here's one, and I've got a few minutes. Hopefully I can wrap it up. What the parents did not dare do, the children find liberty to do and somewhat are encouraged to do what their parents said, we are not at liberty to do those things. They find it difficult to articulate what they believe in and what they stand for because they're always unsure. Their children are more influenced by the world and worldly values than the values of their parents. I think I heard one politician this week say, I think there was a bit of an issue of what was taught in the schools. One politician got up and had the courage to say, your children should be picking up their values from you around the dinner table. Not on the Facebook, not on the television, not in the schoolyard, and not even from the teachers. Why? Because they've got a worldview that many times is against the biblical view. So they've got, they need you to speak into their life. They need you to say what is right and what is wrong. Oh, they can work it out. No, teach your children in the way they should go, and when they get older, they will not depart from, that's the word from the word of God. 
Man, when they're young, you teach them. They have no spiritual discernment or know what to do when they see signs in their lives or the lives of their children that is of concern. So they'll be here and like some stuff like, oh, I did that, or I said that, or I did this other thing, I'm thinking this way. Oh, but they don't know how to deal with it. They see in their life of their children take on a path that they're sort of really worried about, but guess what? They just let them go. They won't say anything. So, well, they've got to work out their way. They've got some revelation, but there's been no real transformation. They constantly pull between the righteous, righteousness and carnality. Carnality is like... I was thinking of vegans right there. As soon as I heard the word carnality, I go like, give me a steak, give me a steak. Carnality is of the flesh. In other words, what your flesh is drawn to. I'll tell you what my flesh is drawn to. Every time I see a Ferrari, I'm drawn to it. Every time I see a Maserati, I'm drawn to it. This week, I was researching some stuff, and I, I heard that there's a boat maker in, in uh, Italy, and they make Riva boats. Does anybody know about Riva boats? Okay, did you hear that? His response was, oh, yeah. So what's that work? What's that work there? My flesh is drawn. If, if, I had, if I had a couple million dollars, they wouldn't even buy the boat. Oh, I need five million dollars. If I had five million bucks, I would go and buy one of those river boats because I just want it. I, I need it so much. So it's drawn to, my flesh is drawn by certain things. And we're not all the same because when, when I say a boat, you guys go, like, are you nuts? If I say car, some of you go, are you nuts? If I said, some, some of you ladies, I said, our flesh is drawn. We, we need those shiny things. We need those shoes. We need those bags. We need a new outfit. We need new hairdo. We need this. We need, we, we need a new house. We need a new car. We, we, need, we need a new holiday. We, we need to go somewhere we've never been. What our flesh is drawn to. The people in that seat are always torn between carnality, the flesh, and righteousness. Doing what is right and doing what feels good. Gee, I, I reckon I could feel good driving one of those river boats. They're actually made out of mahogany. They're just unbelievable wooden boats that you sit in it, you look at it, and you're like, wow. As soon as I, I, I could see myself behind one of those wheels, and, and I, I would look younger, I would look attractive. Everyone, I, everyone would want to marry me. And even my hair would be blowing in the wind as I'm going. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I, I could make a comment on that, Chris, but I won't. All right, the third one, last one, chair of conflict. Are you okay so far? This message is way longer than Jensen ever preached it. The chair of conflict. The people who sit in this chair are those who are living by sight, living constantly and continually in the flesh. Spirit of God has been shut out of their heart. These people are mostly unchurched, disconnected from spiritual influence. When it comes to their faith, anything goes. That's why you look around and every second house you go to now has got a Buddha. Everyone's got a dream chaser hanging from their revision mirror. Everyone's got crystals in their home. Some, some guru that's posted up on a wall. Why? Because you know, they, they, don't, they don't think God. They, they think like anything else. When it comes to their faith, anything goes, whatever feels right at the time. God's not in their life. God's not in their marriage. God's not in their home. They're closer to Mother Earth than Father God. It's true, hey? Oh, Mother Earth. Ooh, protect Mother Earth. Guess what? I, I would like the whole world to know that the Bible says, guess what? This earth is going to pass away. Sooner or later, God is going to go, going to blow it all up and do it all new. It's going to come to an end anyway. They have more regard, and hear me carefully, they have more regard for the cow in the paddock than babies that are getting aborted every single week. It's gone all quiet. They have a disregard towards pastors, to the church, spiritual things, to the sacred, to the word of God. And this is what I don't get, you know, disregard 
to the Word of God, but other spiritualities. That's not Christian. We'll let them have their say. And disregard towards the church. They believe in pragmatism. In other words, you, what's pragmatism? What works is what works. Do whatever works for you. They really think of things regarding life, death, and eternity. They see the church as archaic, old-fashioned, irrelevant. Their career and their wants and their desires and their wishes are top priority list for them. And I'd probably also put saving the planet. There's no concept of going to church or surrendering their lives to leadership or being accountable or taking responsibility of laying down their life. They have no revelation and there's no transformation. Here's my final thoughts. And this is probably the crunch point. If I were to ask your children this morning, which seat does their parents sit in? What would they say? What would your children say? Mum and dad, they sit in the conflict seat. Would they say they, no, 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 they sit in the compromise seat. Or would they say, no, no, mum and dad, they sit in the committed seat because we know who they're committed to. We know their commitment. What would they say? I want you to understand this, that Jesus is coming again. I read that scripture before because it ties in with the end of my message. We are in the last days. Judges 2.15, I said to you, at the end of everything that happened, the third generation, they said, we don't want, we don't want those old gods that our, our mum and dads followed. We, we don't, that's all old-fashioned. That's restrictive. We, we're liberal. We can accept all cultures. We can accept all gods. They're all good. They were in distress. The Bible says that they were in distress. The people were in great distress. Judges chapter 2 verse 15. I want to say to you that our society is in distress. Our, our marriages are in distress. I want to say to you as well this morning that our churches are in distress. We're in, we're in distress. But Joshua said, seeing everything that was happening, he goes, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm making a statement. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve. We are going to serve the Lord. If you're in the seat of compromise, and you, you say, when I resonate, when I talked about always torn between the sacred and the, and, and, and the carnal, always torn between what God wants you to do and what the flesh wants to do. Now, does God grant you the desires of your heart? You're not sure about that, eh? Amen. He, he does. But it says, delight in the Lord first. <laughs> delight in the Lord and he'll grant the desires of your heart. Amen. So some of these things, is, is Pastor Mario, you're telling me it's a sin to have a box party? No. There's nothing wrong with having a box party. Because my father-in-law was the pastor of the church. He banned the kids from doing a bucks party for me. He banned them. Guess what? Three years later, they gave me a bucks party. They really got me. There's nothing wrong with a bucks party, provided God's there. Hello? There's nothing wrong with having a little party at your house, provided God was there. Is it wrong to have a boat? No, buy something within your means, buy a car within your means, go on a holiday within your means. Is there something wrong with that? No, of course not. But if that's the only reason why you come alive, don't be disappointed. Maybe you're sitting in the seat of compromise. Pastor Mario, I'm just torn, you know. My kids want me to do this on Sunday and, and this other thing. And my wife wants me to cut the lawn and we've got to do this other thing. And I want some time for myself. But I know I should be in church. You're sitting in the seat of compromise. If you're sitting in that seat this morning, change seats. Pretty simple. Make a decision. If you're in the seat of compromise, change today. If you're in the seat of conflict, <laughs> you're over here. You need to get a revelation. Say, God, I don't even know if you exist. I hear my parents. They sit in a committed seat. I don't know. If what's good for them is good for me, reveal yourself to me. 
be humble, not proud. So God, I, I don't know, are you uh, alive? Are you real? Make yourself known to me. The amazing thing is that no matter where you are today, if you're not where you should be, it can all change in a minute, in a moment, with a one single decision. Choose today whom you will serve. If you're in the seat of conflict, get yourself a revelation of your need for a transport, transforming power of God in your life, the love of Jesus that comes and just fills your heart and your life. If you're in the seat of compromise, get yourself a revelation. Make it all God and nothing else. Don't have divided loyalties. Be truly committed. Let your life show that you are truly committed. Show your spouse that you're truly committed. Show your children that you're truly committed. Take a stand for yourself, for your marriage, for your family, and for future generations. Choose today who you will serve. As for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord. We have and will continue to serve God. Life is tough. Family's tough. And I want to say to you, without a commitment to Christ Jesus and to His Word and to the Spirit of God, I would say it's just about impossible. Just about impossible. So I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to think, oh, should I be really committed to him? It's good our compromise fell on the ground. <laughs> Maybe it's the Spirit of God blew it down. I'll be committed. I hope everybody here this morning says, hey, I've been a little bit lukewarm, been a little bit unstable, been blown by the wind. Say, enough is enough. I'm going to be committed. Some of you may be thinking, Pastor Murray, can, can you be committed as a spouse and then their cho your children aren't in the house of God? Yes, that's so. Why? Because kids make their own decisions. But I'll say one thing. The commitment to the house of God, commitment to the ways of the Lord, it's not just a verbal commitment. Because I know, I know when I preach something and I go home and I do the opposite, my wife says, hey, are you listening to your sermon? I go like, oh, was I supposed to listen to that? So if there's not are lining up between what you say and how you live your life, your kids will be disillusioned. Because they say, oh, yeah, mum and dad. And I've heard this. No one in this church has said this, but I've heard it said. You see my mum and dad in church on Sundays. Angels on Sundays. And the devil's on Monday. That's sad, isn't it? You see them in church on Sunday raising their hands, but when they come home, you haven't seen them. So what does that make them think? If I go to church and it makes me like them, guess what? I'm not going. Just make sure that what we say and what we do lines up. Not perfect. We're not perfect. No, I'm not saying that. We mess up, but we take ownership. We love God. And we try with all our strength and everything that we have within us to reflect what we say and what we believe in. Amen. I've shared that this morning because I love you. Shared that this morning, not because I want you to go and applaud me. Oh, he really said something that's really, really nice. I said that this morning because we need it. The church is in great distress all around the world. Christians are in great distress, especially in the Western world. 
We're in great distress. Families are breaking down. That's why when families break down, kids want to just live together. Why? Because they go like, what's the point of doing it right? Are you hearing me? So they go, we'll just live together. We're in great distress. It's it's only going to change if we make a decision. As for me and my house. God, I've I've stuffed up. I messed up. But I make a commitment from this day onwards. As for me and my house, I'm going to put you first. And live by the Spirit, not by what feels good. By the Word of God, what is truthful, not by what I feel like I want to do. Amen.